not spooky nuggets, but it was about uh, it was about this uh, this female spider monkey that uh, got electrocuted. <gasps> so so it like had to had one of its arms amputated. And so this family took it in and immediately their cat started to like super help it and love it. And because like the <gasps> spider monkey is a pack animal, like it wants a family. Um, like the the oh cat God. and the spider monkey are best friends. Shut your whore mouth, Corey. It was Corey. so fucking cute. And so they like they recuperated her to like perfect health, just minus having you know only three limbs instead of four. And they let her go. And just within weeks later, she came back because she didn't want to leave her cat friend. Oh my God! <laughs> are you fucking kidding me? Oh my God! So cute. <sighs> So That's the cutest shit cute. I've heard in a long time. Cutest so well, you shit. need to end this. Did they keep the spider monkey as a pet? Yeah, yeah. Because thank yeah, God she came thank back. God. But they really were gonna thank release God. her, and I was like, "You fucking bitches! Like, don't fucking you fucking her. monsters! Like, you keep her, monsters. keep her with the cat. The cat's gonna be so sad that she left. And yeah, uh, the the spider monkey was so cute, or was so sad that she came back and they, now lives with them. Oh my God, that's so, so cute. cute! I'm so pumped. So fucking Ugh. cute. All right, well, let's get started on yeah, that adorable note. I know. Hello, everybody. Hello. Welcome. Welcome to Anyways, How's Your Sex Life? We're your adorable hosts. I'm Jana. Oh, I'm Corey. I'm adorable. And uh, Corey's <laughs> the spider monkey, and I'm the cat in oh, this situation. Cute. <laughs> cute. cute. And welcome, everybody. Episode 71, y'all. Yes. Uh-uh. Yes. We here. Um, the only announcement that I have for you guys today is... Go follow us on Instagram. You can just type in AHYSL podcast. Type in the, that exact thing that I just said on Facebook or Twitter and follow us. And then you can also go to our website, which is, which is com. And, yeah, that's pretty much my only announcement. Corey has a reminder for you guys about the movie of the month. Yeah. <laughs> my eyes grew wide when you were like, Corey has a reminder. I'm like, what the fuck? Um, You're like, kay. bitch, you have the reminder. So next week we are going to talk about the um, show or the movie of the month, which is Knife Plus Heart. It is a gay French uh, film about a lesbian porn director. She like owns a porn studio and it's a gay, it's a like gay male porn studio and it turns out that it's like super based off of giallo films from the 70s uh, and 60s, like, you know, Italian giallo films, um, because she figures out that there's some dude or a killer stalking her porn studio and killing people off involved in her porn studio. And so she Fine. goes through this crazy, like, surreal, semi-avant-garde, like, you know, sexual French, like, you know mystery discovery of what's going on it's just really cool really beautiful um and like go watch the film it's a, it's an awesome film um it's a little out there so maybe for some people it might be a little bit too like avant-garde or too like european french but it's still really it's really good it's really good so go watch it and it's our movie it's our movie of the woman yeah so you it's have our to watch movie it. of the woman and so yeah. next friday when the episode comes out on the 26th we will be talking about that film so go watch it and- and that's another reason to follow us on Instagram because um, we post, uh, like, we'll post like a picture of the movie and talk about it, and we'll probably post like a poll and things like that on the Instagram stories. So if you want to be more involved with it, go follow us on Instagram, and that's yes. how you can be even more involved. Very true. That's then, our announcements, y'all. Now let's just jump into the affogato fact. Okay, my affogato fact this month, this week, God, 
is on Juneteenth. <laughs> it's on Juneteenth. I was going to do Juneteenth and um, a black queer uh, icon, but I just, Juneteenth ended up being like long enough to where it would be crazy long if I did two different things. So I'm just doing mine on Juneteenth, which is on the 19th of June every year. Uh, so that'll, you know, we're releasing this podcast tomorrow. So it'll be on the day that you hear this. So I am getting this directly. I will tell you when I have my own like two cents, but I'm getting this directly from Juneteenth.com just so I like stick to them and, and don't go off on my own stupid shit that much. Nice. <laughs> um, nice. So We're here. white. So like, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like I have a couple two cents that I sort of like put some, a, a ton of information like clearly together in two or three sentences. But for right now, I'm reading directly from Juneteenth.com. So it, it says Juneteenth is the oldest nationally celebrated commemoration of the ending of slavery in the United States. Dating back to 1865, uh, remember that date, it was on June 19th that the Union soldiers led by Major General Gordon Granger landed in Galveston, Texas, or they got to Galveston, Texas, because they basically fought their way there, um, with news that the war had ended and that the enslaved were now free. Know that this was two and a half years after Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation. So you have all at least heard some uh, recording or heard, not recording if I'm actually saying it, but like have heard the Emancipation Proclamation before. Um, that was uh, officially delivered on, uh, or officially became like official stuff on, the, on January 1st of 1863. Um, the Emancipation Proclamation, however, had little impact on uh, the on Texas and on the Texans living there due to the minimal number of Union troops to enforce the new executive order. However, with this the surrender of General Lee in April of 1865, Lee was one of the generals or the main general of the Confederate States. I don't remember off the top of my head. And the arrival of General Granger, who is the Union uh, general, um, the forces were finally strong enough to influence and overcome the resistance. So this is my two cents. It is also important to note that slavery in the United States did not officially end until the ratification of the 13th Amendment of the Constitution of the United States. This happened on December 6th of 1865. So again, I'm talking Juneteenth happens on June 19th of 1865. So the like official end of slavery didn't happen until six months later on mm. December 6th of 1865. Again, this year, 1865, is two years after the Emancipation Pro Pro Proclamation. <laughs> Ooh, getting a little drunk. Um, that uh -oh. happened in 1863. So there's a lot of these dates that I'm throwing around. But this is what I'm saying is like it's important to know that slavery in the United States did not officially end until the 13th amendment in December 6th of 1865, because the proc the emancipation Procl proclamation did not end slavery. It just freed people that were or freed slaves. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So six months after the date we're talking about, that's when slavery is officially yeah, like, uh -huh. yeah, we're done. But it's still two and a half years after uh, the, emancipation the emancipation proclamation, proclamation was given. So, yeah. Um, the Fuck. Constitution abolished slavery entirely in all of the U.S. states and territories. So the Emancipation Proclamation only freed slaves. It did not abolish slavery. And it only specifically applied to places under Confederate control, not slaveholding border states, uh, uh, including uh, Tennessee, Kentucky, West Virginia, etc., or rebel areas 
that were already under union control as well as fringe states, i.e. Texas, Texas being one of the focuses of this. So uh, when the Emancipation Proclamation happened, basically it was like, hey, we this Emancipation Proclamation is about freeing enslaved people. So this applied to um, uh, Confederate states that had been taken over, but slaveholding border states were still enslaved for multiple time. Uh, we don't need to get into all that shit. I've gotten it. I've gotten into it too much already. Okay. But just like if you want to like learn that it's very interesting that we didn't know this and it's super sad that we didn't know this because of systemic racism that is in our country. Like, again, I've, I've actually m mentioned before that I grew up in Texas and until my teens, I thought that civil or the Civil War was more about states rights than slavery. Yikes. Like, literally like fucking yikes. Like exclamation yeah. point. Yikes. And and that's not unique. Like so many no. southern, like every southern state yeah. thinks that. Like even recently, like when I went to Tennessee just in November to visit my mom, um, every single house had like the Confederate flags. Every single person was like still talking about how it was about like, you know, state rights, not slavery. And I'm like, y'all are fucking racist. <laughs> I'm like, you guys are bad <laughs> like, people. Yeah, exactly. Like it, uh, so bad. Okay. So back to um, Juneteenth.com, their words. Says the news of General Robert E. Lee's surrender on April 9th of 1865 reached Texas later in the month. The Western Ar uh, the Western Army of the Trans Mississippi did not surrender until June 2nd. Then on June 18th, Union Army General Gordon Granger, uh, which I mentioned earlier, he arrived at Galveston Island with 2,000 federal troops to occupy Texas on behalf of the federal government. Um, so just a little bit of two cents for me. Um, right now, Galveston Island, people know about it. You've hear, heard about it maybe once or twice. Um, but most people hear about it because of, like, the hurricanes, the huge-ass hurricanes that have hit it over the over the years. There's, like, a big 1900 or 1901 or an 02 hurricane that hit. Um, but most people, y'all, most people know of Houston more than Galveston. Um, during this time, I'm assuming Galveston was more of a focused town because it's a port and more important than Houston would be because it's a little bit more inland and it might have been harder to develop Houston at that time. I'm not super sure. I'm just like, there's a lot of supposition right there. Um, but they got to Galveston, which is just like an hour south, 45 minutes south of Houston. And with 2,000 federal troops. On the following day, which is June 19th, which is, which is Juneteenth, um, standing on the balcony of Galveston's Ash Ashton Villa, Granger read around the, the contents of the General Order Number 3, announcing the total emancipation of those held as slaves. So I'm going to read the first couple uh, sentences of that. Um, I've actually... I have seen this house before and noticed and noted it before, like, cause I've been to Galveston multiple times growing up cause I lived in Houston. Um, it's a beautiful little like pinkish house. I actually like, it was nice to see like more pictures of it and be like, Oh yeah. Like I've noted that house before because it's always noted when you pass it. Galveston's oh, really fun. cool. It has a lot. Of, there's a ton of cemeteries that are super spooky and you just, it, it's just super Southern, Southern spookiness. That is, it has a crazy beautiful aesthetic to it. I love it. See, Galveston's I, nice. I feel like, in so many southern towns, there's there's like a crazy amount of really spooky cemeteries. Oh yeah, <laughs> like well, in 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 Galveston especially, it's like it's all over the place. Like if you want to drive down to like the coast sit or the coast, uh, what do you call it? Street or like Boardwalk Street that goes along the coast. Like you can look out in the ocean as you drive. You have yeah. to pass multiple cemeteries. It's awesome. Okay, it's so, so weird and so cool. I dig it. Yeah, it, it Galveston has a cool feel. It has a cool southern, like, New Orleans feel to it. Um, so this is uh, what uh, 
General Gordon Granger said. These are the first two sentences of General Order Number 3, which is very iconic and known to those who celebrate Juneteenth. This is what he says. Yeah, bitch. The people of Texas are informed that in accordance with the proclamation from the executive of the United States, all slaves are free. This involves an absolute equality of rights and rights of property between former masters and slaves. And the connection heretofore existing between them becomes that between employer and hired laborer. This goes on um, for more sentences and stuff, but this is basically what is read at this house, the Ashton Villa on June 19th, and is sort of a super commemorated day. Um, so reactions, I'm sort of paraphrasing for the next little bit. There's re the reactions of this news range from pure shock to immediate jubilation. Uh, while a good amount of uh, the former slaves, because they are now not slaves, um, learn, uh, while many of them lingered to listen to the entirety of what this general had to say to actually hear what, you know, this this relationship meant now or like what do we do now you know sort of stuff yeah people stayed to like you know be like okay what does this mean can i stay here do i get paid now from these people or do i just leave and go find a different job etc and this varies from people doing that to there's even like uh accounts of people just like after hearing like the first couple sentences they're like bye and they just start walking <laughs> like walking away packing up and leaving and being like fuck yes. you like middle finger in the air just like bye like fuck you and it says uh, there's accounts of like people would go north because that's the most logical destination um but people who stayed in the south obviously had to deal with like more stuff you know we get into jim crow laws that are eventually set in and just more racism and horrible shit um so back to uh, verbatim of Juneteenth.com. It says, recounting the memories of that date, great day in June of 1865 and its festivities would serve as motivation as well as a release from the growing pressures encountered in their new territories. The celebration of June 19th was coined Juneteenth and grew with more participation from descendants, the descendants of those freed slaves. Um, the Juneteenth celebration was a time for reassuring each other for praying, and for gathering remaining family members. Juneteenth continued to be highly revered uh, in Texas decades later, with many former slaves and descendants making an annual pilgrimage back to Galveston on this date. I didn't know that. Oh, wow. that's, that's so cool. Um, that's really cool. So back to me paraphrasing, um, basically um, sort of like a, um, to like maybe get in your heads if you've listened to our Halloween episode, uh, things are just sort of continued over the decades with more and more uh, descendants of like, you know, descendant descending families or like predecessors of slate, like their, their ancestry or their descendants. Sorry. Oh my God. Said that horribly. Um, they just keep returning to Galveston and celebrating it within Texas specifically. And this continues to grow over time, obviously um, in the 1920s and thirties, it begins to become a little bit, um, commercialized just like uh, uh, like a good example is Halloween but obviously like mm. Juneteenth has way more significance than Halloween yeah. um, and we're going to fast forward a, a ton oh actually Juneteenth gets a uh, pretty tied into the civil rights movement and sort of gets overshadowed to a point because everybody in the 60s and 70s was focused on the civil rights movement but then in the 1980s specifically in 1980 Texas became the first state to recognize Juneteenth as a state holiday. And today, Juneteenth Aww. is the oldest national celebration commemorating the ending of slavery in the U.S. 
So yes, um, if you whatever you take away from this is just re- just to remember that that um, while in 1962 we have the emanci- or 1862 sorry we have the Emancipation Proclamation, the sad fact is that it took another two years for most people in those uh, Confederate controlled states because of the end of the Civil War to be freed, and then it even took another six night six months for the constant for the united states to to officially and legally abolish slavery but then if you go watch the netflix um and the academy award winning or academy nominated documentary titled 13th the 13th amendment sort of just changed slavery into being an organized part of our incarceration and and jail system there's another word for that i can't think of it right now a little drunk my bad um, if you want to go get learned about that and get extremely sad, go watch the 13th or 13th on uh, Netflix. It's free. Right Is now. it a documentary or docu-series? Yep. It's a documentary. It's just it's like a two hour long documentary, an hour and a half long documentary. Really good, really eye opening, really sad. About do you have? Yeah. Do you have other like documentaries that you recommend people to watch right now? Oh yeah. Um, uh, I am not your Negro. Um, is a really good one. I've talked about James Baldwin for a Black History Month. I talked about him, and I've mentioned him many times because I, I've just he like is a he's really he's talked a lot about racism and a lot about writing um, in his writings and in his books and stuff like that. So I've mentioned him many times on this podcast. He's a great um, author, a great queer black author. In, in from the Harlem Renaissance, he actually moved and lived in Paris. But we don't need to get into that. If you want to, I do yeah. a whole biography about him. Um, we had I a am whole not your fact. Yeah, whole Afghan fact about him um, that I did in February. Um, yeah, it's called. It's titled "I Am Not Your Negro." It's uh, free on Amazon to watch right now, and it's his comments on Malcolm X and Martin Luther King Jr. and the state of racism during the civil rights movement and their lives and the state of racism today and the effect or, or and the effects that he perceive or like he believes that it will have um that he believes that it will have as he's writing it i believe he was trying to write a book titled i am not your negro but he died before he finished it and it was turned into a documentary samuel l jackson mm. narrates it very good cool yeah. that's cool now let's move on to genital herpes because yeah. that's my spooky scoop today. So polar opposite of what Corey is talking about. Yes. But here we are. We're continuing. Still, still my... has an importance though. Still has an importance. Yeah. First things, Corey, is that Diet Coke that you're drinking? You should pour bourbon in it. I did. I already yes! did. Yes. <laughs> good. Good, good, good. I okay. already did. <laughs> so moving on to genital herpes. So last week I talked about HPV. Today I'm talking about herpes. Next week I'm going to talk about gonorrhea, chlamydia, syphilis, all that fun stuff. Um, and then finally I'm going to talk about HIV. Yes. Or like, I don't know, maybe Corey and I will do a joint episode because there's a lot. I don't know. Well, we'll discuss it. But regardless, like we're going through all the STDs right now. Why is because, you know, I want you guys to know that there are STDs out there and to be careful because we love you guys. We want you guys to be safe. Yeah. And sex is super amazing and beautiful and fun and wild and freaky and weird and funny. But it's important to be safe while you do it so and you cute. can not get some of these STDs and cute and wholesome like in our listener that, stories. I don't there. know why, but that shit was just cute and wholesome. <laughs> it is. 
you'll hear soon whenever this bonus episodes re- whenever our bonus episodes release yeah. there's a really cute wholesome sex finger blasting story in it <laughs> anyways let's talk about herpes so herpes is a common virus that causes sores on your genital genitals and or mouth herpes can be annoying and painful but it usually doesn't lead to any serious health problems pause real quick i'm getting this information straight from plannedparenthood.org i mentioned that last episode the reason uh, obviously i'm not a doctor so i'm going to be reading this information directly from planned parenthood so yes. i don't fuck it up and give you false in- information <laughs> you like and put ruin your butter life. on your herpes yeah. and it'll go away <laughs> i'm like i heard if you dip your herpes in mayonnaise and you fuck a bush it'll go away or it's like in um the book of mormon musical uh Josh Gad, uh, elder, like the dorky missionary, yeah, like tells all of the people that if that Joseph Smith fucked a frog, a frog to get rid yeah, of AIDS, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, um, so like it goes off on this whole thing about fucking. But anyways, I don't want to tell you guys to fuck a frog and get rid of herpes. So that's why I'm reading from PlantBearHood.org, and probably fucking a frog is the exact opposite of what you should do to get rid of warts. So like highly like zero out of ten stars. Don't fuck a frog. Anyways, let's talk Please about herpes. Don't. Herpes is a super common infection that stays in your body <laughs> for life. Please don't fuck frogs. <laughs> Please don't fuck frogs. Let love anyways has her sex life. Yeah. Please <sighs> only fuck consenting adults. <laughs> now, here we go, Corey. Are you ready for some stats that are going to blow your mind? Because these STD facts are Corey's no. nightmares. So here we go. More than half of Americans have oral herpes. And about one out of six Americans have genital herpes. So chances are a few people you know are living with herpes. Herpes is caused. One out of six have um, genitals, genital herpes. Herpes is caused by two two different but very similar viruses. There's the herpes simplex virus type 1, and that is HSV1, and the herpes simplex virus type 2, which is HSV2. Um, Both kinds can make sores pop up on and around your vulva, vagina, cervix, anus, penis, scrotum, butt, inner thighs, lips, mouth, throat, and rarely your eyes. Herpes everywhere. Now, herpes is spread from skin-to-skin contact with infected areas, often during vaginal, oral, anal, and kissing. Um, Herpes causes outbreaks of itchy, painful blisters or sores that come and go. Many people with herpes don't notice the sores or mistake them for something else, so they might not actually know that they're infected. You can spread herpes even when you don't have any sores or symptoms. This piece of information right now, I actually didn't know. Yeah. Because my whole life growing up, I thought that yeah. you could only spread herpes if that person had a sore or a like wart exposed. That's not true. It can just happen. No, sir. Um, yay. So there's no cure for herpes, but medication can ease your symptoms and lower your chance of giving the virus to other people. And the good news is outbreaks usually become less frequent over time. And even though herpes can sometimes be uncomfortable and painful, it's not dangerous. So people with herpes, they're capable of having relationships, fulfilling sex lives, and and overall live a really healthy life. That's the important thing that's, like, about herpes. And I talked about this with HPV, is when you have, like, the genital warts. Corey's pouring more alcohol. (laughs) But when you have the genital warts and things like that, that's not a death sentence. That's just, like, an inconvenience, if anything. But you can live with it. Whereas, like, with HPV, if you're having the symptoms and you don't have the warts and stuff, that's when there's a problem. That's when it can lead to cancer. But overall, in general, like, if you just have warts, like, it's not like you have 
penis cancer you're you just probably have genital herpes or hpv anyways um, because there are two different types of herpes, um, either HSV-1 or HSV-2, <laughs> that can live on body parts, lots of people are confused about what to call these infections, but it's pretty simple. When you get either HSV-1 or HSV-2 on or, on or around your genitals, and that includes your inner thighs, that's called genital herpes. If you get HSV-1 you or You can HSV-2, get it on your thighs? Yeah. Your, you can get it your vulva, vagina, cervix, anus, penis, scrotum, butt, inner thighs. That's called. Can you get it on your herpes. taint? E- yes. So. Oh my god! Y'all. Like taint stick. Like cures like, herpes. Wait. Wait. Are <laughs> yeah. Patent taint stick. Don't steal it, or I'll kill you in your sleep. Taint stick cures herpes. <laughs> I Planned will kill. Like, I will come to no, your house doesn't. and I will kill you in your sleep. <laughs> oh man! Someone's gonna kill. Can, someone's gonna kill someone in their sleep over taint stick, and we are so oh gonna be oh, looked we're at. We're so fucked. We're so fucked. <laughs> Oh, if you look at my Google history, it's so incriminating, but it's just for the podcast. (laughs) Anyways, when you get either HSV-1 or HSV-2 in and around your lips, mouth, and throat, that's called oral. So anything on or near your genitals, that's genitals. Anything on your face, that's oral. Um, Oral herpes sores are sometimes just called cold sores or fever blisters. Y'all know someone with cold sores. It's everywhere. As I said in the last episode, I lived a very specific life to avoid cold sores because I have so much (laughs) fucking skin problems. If someone gave me cold sores, just I can't do it, y'all. Tana's like like fucking Liam Neeson in uh, Taken. He's like, I have a very specific set of skills and it's avoiding ever getting cold sores. (laughs) And I show you like like this is like a movie like cuts to everything I've done where I'm like yeeting and like dodging out of the way of cold sores. Uh. (laughs) Like somebody offering you their like fucking high C like elementary lunch at like fifth grade. You're like, no, bitch. I'm like, fuck you, you cold sore bitch. They're like, Chana's mean girl, but it's fine. If you have cold sores, I don't judge you. I just don't want any. Because here's why, everybody. I am a very anxious, insecure, hot mess, and I already have enough skin problems. So please don't give me anything else to want to kill myself over. Thank you. Yeah, and you, like, always worry about your lips, like your chapstick and shit. Yeah, Yeah, and I want to constantly get my lips done. Anyways, that's besides the point. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Anyways, it's totally possible for both type of herpes, both genital or oral, um, to infect, you know, you. So you can have both. <laughs> or you can have one. Or you can have both. You can get infected. <laughs> so, like, you can get infected. Just know that. Jesus. Anyways, herpes is easily spread from skin-to-skin contact when someone has the virus. You can get it when either your genitals or mouth touches the other person's genitals or mouth. This is obviously during oral anal or vaginal sex i don't know when your genital is touching other people's mouths if it's not in under those three categories but you know you do you (laughs) no don't do you because that sounds like consent is not involved (laughs) you do you as long as there's consent now herpes (laughs) can be passed even if the penis or tongue doesn't go all the way in the vagina anus or mouth so even if it's just the tip does not matter you can still get you just like pass herpes yeah, if you like licking a pee pee like a lollipop, <laughs> does not fucking matter. How many cent- how many licks does it get to the her- the herpes center spot? of a dick? One. Yeah, zero. <laughs> one. one point five. Also, 
you how many don't legs have to does it take to get to the center of of the herpes pop of a herpes so pop. zero it like it was like sniff it and it could happen anyways Jesus. Planned Parenthood's like that's not true <laughs> you, you also you don't need to or you don't have to come to spread herpes you just like common misconceptions oh wow so if you're going to, that's interesting if you're that gonna, people would think that. if you're gonna sleep with someone and they're like i have herpes but it only passes through coming like one get the fuck out because they're manipulative monster but two that's not true and they can give you a virus so it's important to know like the ways that people can lie to have tried to have yeah sex with you um all that it all it takes is some quick skin to skin touching you can also get herpes from kissing other people that have oral herpes so if i'm like in the proposal and like i'm sandra bullock and uh what's his name in the proposal yeah sandra bullock and then ryan not ryan, ryan gosling Go- not Ry- uh, ryan reynolds yeah. yeah and like let's say ryan reynolds had fucking herpes but he's not even showing symptoms but we like in the proposal when we're naked run out and bump into each other and then fall on top of each other ryan reynolds could give me herpes i guess so holy shit <laughs> So think twice before you run naked into Ryan Reynolds. We are so going to be contacted by his PR people and be like, Ryan Reynolds does not have genital herpes. We didn't say it. Ryan Reynolds does not have. I don't need. I can't even. De- I don't even know if it's legal to, de- to deny that. I can't confirm or deny that Ryan Reynolds has genital herpes, but I can tell you that we have it. We sure have an opinion yeah, that leads towards the denial. I can tell you deny. Sandra Bullock doesn't have genital herpes because she's she, great. She's watch her have she's the one that that's like the sole general herpes causer she of like secretly listens to her podcast that would be amazing that's hi hilarious. sandra bullock hey sandra bullock. i didn't i didn't like you for a long time but now i like you so hi, oh sandra you didn't bullock. like her why didn't you like her? i'm like the only person on earth that didn't like her oh, i don't know why i like sandra bullock I think it's because she was too obviously awesome and too like mm. you know she's really nice in real life and i oh, really yeah. like Oh, yeah. I wasn't down for that. I wanted the celebrity drama. I'm like, girl, you don't have any drama about you. I want, like, the Lindsay Lohan snorted cooking out of Britney Spears' butthole (laughs) drama. Oh, my God. Like, come on. (laughs) Although, I think anybody would snort coke off of Britney Spears' butthole. (laughs) That's true. I Like, even if you don't do drugs. If, like, if Britney Spears presented her butthole to you with anything on it, like... Yeah, if, if like if my Mormon ass like ancestors didn't accept any type of substance off of Britney Spears' butthole, fuck y'all, you're like, not my ancestor. You are horrible. Oh, uh, we're never gonna get through my herpes smoky scope. Okay, I'm just gonna um go through a couple points really quick. Yeah, about herpes instead of reading everything because I ha- I have like five other sections I need to get through. We're super drunk. Let's just yeah, let's um, just dice them out. Yeah. The majority of people that get oral herpes actually get it when they're kids. The most common way that you've probably heard is when a mother kisses um, their baby's head or like their face when they have herpes. Also, a mom can actually, (laughs) a mom can pass genital herpes to a baby during vaginal childbirth. Oh, wow. So the mom had herpes, didn't know, had birth to the kid, boom, kid has herpes. So herpes is most, herpes is contagious like all the time. But it's most contagious when sores are open and quote unquote wet. No, sir. Because <laughs> fluid from herpes blisters can easily spread the virus. But herpes can also shred and get passed to others when there are no scores and then there are no sores because your skin looks totally normal. Fuck herpes. Fuck herpes. Okay. I'm skipping to the next. What are the symptoms of herpes? Here we go. Oof. 
symptoms of herpes, y'all. You or your partner may not have any herpes symptoms that you can see or feel. The signs of herpes may be mild, so you don't even really notice it. Uh, Sometimes people can confuse herpes with symptoms like pimples or ungrown hairs in the flu. Um, herpes symptoms can come and go, but that doesn't mean the infection goes away. <laughs> Doctor, I have the flu. People. No, bitch, you have herpes. They're like, no, bitch, you have fucking herpes. What a bummer doctor appointment with that. What be. a fucking bummer. You go bummer. there what a thinking fight. they're going to – you think they're going to give you like a Z-pack and they're like, hey, sorry, you actually don't have coronavirus. You have fucking herpes. That is my, so, that is my first world worst nightmare <laughs> right there. Now, the, the most – common symptoms of genital herpes is obviously a group of itchy or painful blisters on your vagina vulva cervix penis butt anus or the inside of your thighs my penis and butt these- anus <laughs> your, 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 your butt <laughs> no i don't i don't have a penis i have a penis butt anus <laughs> uh, it's true he does everybody he has a penis butt anus i have a penis butt anus <laughs> Uh, now these blisters they break and they turn into sores and with this you get other symptoms too example if you burn when you pee um, or if your urine touches the herpes sores and it starts burning bad news now if you have trouble peeing because the sores and swellings are blocking your urethra oh no bad news if there's extreme itching pain around your genitals um, if there's swollen glands and like your pelvic area throat under your arms if you have fever chills headache if you're feeling achy and tired, there's a lot of just common symptoms that go along with this. So it's not just like, like you have a wart, like that's it. Like there are other symptoms. Like are those yeah. other symptoms like as common or as rare? I'm not sure, but they can, they can definitely happen. So there's no cure for herpes, but you can take medicine to make the outbreak shorter and less painful. And it can also help outbreaks in the future. Um, even though there's no cure, there are plenty of ways to treat the symptoms and manage the infection. Herpes medicine makes outbreaks either go away sooner or they prevent them from coming back as often. They like, they, they just help you with outbreaks. Um, and your doctor will figure out the best treatment plan that works for you. So again, that's a reason why to talk to your doctor because treatment plans are unique to the individual. Um, if you're having an outbreak, your doctor can give you medicine to help to heal your sores faster. Um, you can also ease the pain by taking a warm bath Keeping your genital area dry, moisture makes the soils last longer. Make oh, the interesting. Last longer. So maybe like don't take a warm bath because that kind of contradicts the last thing I just said. <laughs> but that's whatever. It's like stand in front of a humidifier for like 30 minutes. <laughs> but then like don't. <laughs> so like, you know, choose which one feels the best, oh but like get dry after. Wear soft and loose clothing. You put ice on the sores and you take pain reliever like aspirin or ibuprofen or tylenol <laughs> take a warm stuff. bath but then put ice <laughs> yeah take a warm bath and then dry up and put ice <laughs> and then put on loose clothes and like oh sit there God. and watch a movie and don't move because this sounds painful now if you have lots of herpes outbreaks your doctor will probably have you take medicine every day this is called suppressive therapy and um, this will also help prevent future herpes outbreaks and lower your chances chan- and lower your chances of giving herpes to your partners shit whether or not you take medicine to treat herpes, it's important that you take care of yourself, eat healthy food, get enough sleep, avoid stress, because those are the triggers that can really affect an outbreak. Like if you're eating like shit and you aren't sleeping and you're stressed as fuck, which is me 99% of the time, you will probably have outbreaks and it won't be fun. If you find out that you have herpes, try not to freak out. 
because chances are one you know people love herpes around you they're like it's everywhere y'all but two like this is not the end of the world this is not a death sentence this is not someone saying like you're fucked for the rest of life like goodbye like it's okay just take a breath and there are few ways that you can that you there are a few things that you can do to stop it from spreading to your partners and other parts of your body one i don't even know if planned parenthood says this but i'm just going to say it as me um, which I think anyone will agree. It's always important, obviously, if you have an STD, to to disclose that information to your whoever you're gonna have sex with, because if there's a possibility of you passing an STD onto somebody, it is that person's right to know that they could possibly be getting an STD. So if you have herpes, like tell the person you're about to have sex with so they're aware. Um, just like any please. STD, because like we're all human beings, like we should be looking out for one another. So please, for the love of God, tell someone if you have an STD before you have sex and that's a great one that's a great way to 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 not spread it or if they agree to have sex with you you can have like less guilt if they get it two always use dental dams or <laughs> all i can think of is katie perry now <laughs> but all you always use katie perry or condoms during yeah. all the forms of sex <laughs> talk to your doctor about taking medications every day which can lower your chances of spreading herpes don't have sex during a herpes br- outbreak even with the condom because there may be sores on places that a condom doesn't cover. So if you Why have would an outbreak, you? Yeah, that sounds like chill out for a couple of days. And also, that probably will be painful yeah, for you. Yeah, this sounds so like, not I, fun. Zero out of ten stars, don't recommend. Yeah. Now, learn how to tell when an outbreak is coming and stop having sex right when you notice these signs. You may find a burning or a itching or a tingling feeling that lets you know that you're about to get sores. For example, I uh, used to be best friends with this girl. She's a total bitch, but that's besides the point. She's the worst. Stacy, I fucking her hate her. Stacy, she's a bitch. She's like literally the worst person that's ever come into my entire life. But whatever. Um, she had cold sores, and she and what I found was so interesting about it is she would know. Like we would be like walking through the mall, and she'd be like, "Oh my god, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get a cold sore." And I was like, "How the fuck do you know?" And she's like, "Just watch." And, like, a day later, she'd have this huge cold sore because she Whoa. always felt numb and a tingling on her lips. So, it's like, she knew. Like, the second it happened, she knew. So, learn to recognize those signs. Like, if you start feeling something a little bit different and you get warts the next day, be like, okay, that's what I feel like before, the inf- before like, an outbreak is going to start. Nice. Now, the last point I'm going to make is people who, have her- people who have herpes are twice as likely to get HIV as people who don't. Holy shit. And people who have herpes and HIV have a much bigger chance of passing HIV to their partners. So it's very important to use condoms to help protect yourself and your partner. And this is also another reason why it's very important to get tested. It's important to get tested for every every STD. It's important to get tested for HIV. Uh, It's just important. Get tested, y'all. It's not difficult. It's just going to take like an hour out of your day. It's maybe going to cost like a hundred bucks, depending what you're getting tested. And I know that's a lot of money for some people. So there are different programs, different ways to get STD tests for less. But it's important to get STDs because it's important to know what's going on with your body. It's obviously very important to, to tell someone you're going to have sex with what you, if you have an STD. It's just important. Anyways, that is my spooky scoop on herpes. Yay. And, herpes. Na- and now we're done. Thanks, herpes. Um, yeah. So my, my thing today is on The Haunting of Maria Jose Ferria. Yes, um, daddy. So in 1965 in Jo Bodicabal, Brazil. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's exact, That's actually exactly how you pronounce is it. Is Jo 
Jibuti Cabal. It, it, that's pretty Jibuti close. Jibuti Cabals? Jibuti Cabal. Jibuti my, Jibuti my balls. Yeah, Jibuti my balls. <laughs> Bounce your booties on my balls. Bounce your booties on my balls. Brazil. <laughs> Brazil. Um, there lived a normal family with a normal little 11-year-old girl named Maria. But one Uh-oh. day, things suddenly changed that would change this little girl's life and the lives of not just her family, but the entire town. Oh, God. One day while walking home from school, just Maria's just like chilling. She's like, you know, doing hopscotch, you know, jumping. <gasps> oh, and my God. Hopscotch what? is so fun. Hopscotch is so fucking fun. Not fun when out of the blue, bricks and stones start flying out of nowhere towards Maria's head. Not fun. Not she fun She ran anymore. home and then ran into the house screaming at her mother, whose disbelief of the event vanished when rocks and bricks began to materialize within the home and then launch themselves towards poor little Maria. What's next? Trumpets? Right. Oh, I know. It, this is like very reminiscent of that. Um, so for the next weeks, these stones and rocks would appear out of nowhere when Maria was home. And then go for her a random object in the house, but stop the, the moment she left the house. The spirit seemed to then attach itself to the home um, and was particularly active when Maria was there. Um, after weeks of these attacks, the family began to believe that something evil was in their home. It took weeks for them to realize that, but... <laughs> Immediately, if I saw bricks materializing in front of me, I'd be like, hmm, I think we're hmm, fucked. Hmm, I think there's a goddamn motherfucking demon in this house. I'm like, I'm sorry. My dark past is finally catching up with me. Sorry for my 15-year-old Simone's sin, like flipping like, you off. She's like, thanks a lot, Mom, for playing like, with the Ouija board. <laughs> it's true. You know, I've had a real big craving to do the Ouija board lately because I'm white. <laughs> That's Please my culture. Don't. Please don't. It's my fucking culture is to get into weirdly it's get into situations that could have easily been avoided. Please don't. <laughs> that's 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 my exact kink. <laughs> you and Hiram could just go do that somewhere. <gasps> that sounds fun. Hi. Text me. <laughs> or hi, not Hiram, my bad. Hi. Hi, text me. He's like, I will not do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the poltergeist activity grew more sinister. And started not just throwing bricks, but physically striking at family members. Soon after this, they called upon their local priest um, to to like help out. Uh, he came to the home uh, to investigate and witnessed the flying rocks and other objects that were mo- would move about themselves, along with strange noises that would come from nowhere but be heard throughout the entire house, so, like disembodied voices that would echo throughout Ew. the entire house. So after a day in the home, the priest decided that an exorcism was to be performed on the house. Apparently in Brazil, they don't mess around because literally the next day, the priest showed up with two other priests and they exorcised, they tried to exorcise the spirit from the home. However, the exorcism failed and seemed to only make the spirit angrier. Things got more violent, aggressive, and scarier as... The flying rocks became huge boulders weighing about 10 to 15 pounds that would fly around the house. Sometimes the spirit would even throw furniture around. Uh, The spirit began to focus most of its energy on Maria again. Um, She was particularly slapped, scratched, bitten, um, and had deep bruising appear all over her body. Um, what did Maria do to deserve all this? Oh, like, oh, we'll get to it, Channa. We will fucking oh my get God. to this. Yeah. Oh, fuck. A Ouija board is so involved or something <laughs> like that. I'm so excited. Um, so uh, she would also lay <gasps> at, at night. She, Oh, sorry, what? 
you know what this reminds me of? What? Okay. Do you remember in like 2018 when that movie came out on Netflix and everyone's like, this is the scariest movie that's ever been created of all Veronica. time. And you and I watched it while, yeah. we, while we crafted. Veronica. This kind of reminds me of it because oh, yeah. it's like a family, nothing happens, and boom, crazy shit. And it's happening, it's like targeting specifically this young girl. Oh, that yeah. Veronica. Veronica. That's Veronica. It's a good one. It's a Spanish film. Um, Ew, that, the, 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 the mattress. black mold on the mattress. Yeah, fuck that shit. Yeah, fuck that shit. <sighs> That's scary yeah. shit. My closet door is open. <laughs> I'm scared. So is mine. So there's that. <laughs> it's always open. I make that a point because I do not like my closet doors closed. That That is more I, scary I, to me than open. I, I close the fuck out of my... No. That's my cats are in the closet. They I love sleeping that. in the closet. Uh, I don't know why. I've always been the person that's like, I want it open because I want to know what's in it. I don't want it closed. Which, you know, most people think the opposite, but it's fine. Yeah. I even like like most of my closets have been no deeper than like three feet. Oh, yeah. But when oh, I was yeah. litter deeper. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, when I was like when I was like zero to eleven though, my first house growing up as a child, I had a closet that was like six feet deep. So it was one of those that like at night you couldn't see more than two or three feet in, even if it was oh, like a full Lord. moon. But I would still have it open and for sl- like it would scare me to the to a point that most, you know, that that's why people have closet doors closed. But I don't know why I still like even as a 10 year old boy scared of staring into the abyss of the closet, I would rather have it open than closed. It just bothered me more than it was closed. See, for me, when I was a kid, I always had those closets yeah. that had mirrors on the outside of them. Ew, you know, what so the like, fuck? It was like, you know, it's like the rolling door with a giant mirror. Ew, you know, yeah, my sisters had that, yeah. Like, every single closet I've ever had has had that until, like, I moved to Utah. Yeah. And, and, like, specifically during, like, the noob time of my life, I would just go to sleep uh. looking into a mirror. Like, I would see the mirror, see my room, and I was like, this is fucked up in my you head. You could, like, I was like this is watch scary. yourself alone in a dark room trying to yes. fall asleep. That's disgusting. Yeah. That's, I, that is I would nasty. never fall asleep. That's disgusting. So, so like, you know, if you have – if you're going to sleep tonight no, with a mirror in your closet – think twice because it's scary Chana, you like literally when you started to say that you before you said it you you you've paused in like a scream motion Ew. and then you and then the next thing i heard was closet no <laughs> and i oh was my like god. Ah! oh my god oh my god i, I was like ready to dead. run into chris's room <laughs> Y'all are never going to see me again. This is the last Jesus episode Christ. because I'm I'm dead from here now. Sorry, Jordan. I accidentally Bye, Jordan. just like called upon the demon of lewdness in mere realm. <sighs> Who is like, okay, so this is, this would be an interesting thing for you to research, Corey. The demon of lewdness? Uh, no. Well, yes, obviously, because he's our mascot. Love but two, like... Okay, the mirror realm, that's obviously different than, like, the regular demons and shit that we talk about. Yeah. So, like, who's, like, the master daddy of the real world? Or the, the mirror realm? The mirror because realm? Because the master of, like, regular demons is, like, Satan, according to, like, Christian theology, yeah. which we've talked about. So, like, who's, like, the daddy over the mirror creepy people? You should research that. That I might be an interesting I thing. Wanna, I don't like, want to know that. <laughs> You don't want to know who's the mirror daddy? Uh, like somewhere in some distant dark corner of existence, the leader is like, yeah. <laughs> He's like pinching his nipples. He's like, research me, them. daddy. 
<laughs> He's like, go to that Reddit thread, you fucking bitch. <laughs> you fucking bitch. Oh, it's like the fucking, uh, what do you call it? The Insidious 2 is like, he got, he has your baby. He's got your baby. Oh, fuck Ew. that shit. <laughs> That's disgusting. I'm not researching that channel. Fuck you. Well, fine. I'll research it by myself and fuck I'll that. let y'all know. Fuck that shit. <laughs> okay. Where the fuck are we? Um, okay. Boulders. Rocks turned into boulders. Um, Maria starts getting slapped and scratched and bitten. Uh, also, she would lay there at night and she, she reported that she would feel the poltergeist or spirit cover her face with a cup to try oh. and suffocate her. No, no, no. No. I don't know why, but that, that just makes it so much more like like salad Ew. fingers. Like, Ew. <laughs> I like it the feeling of rusty so, spoons. Right. Like, it, like, I was just old enough to like see the first one and then be like, fuck that stupid shit. Like, that's just wrong and disgusting. Like, I got my Karen haircut and was like, fuck that and then moved on. Yeah, and I was just the age enough to be like, yes. yes. I watched it. And I was like, I am wet with dread. I was like, I'm. I was like, I'm so edgy for digging this. Like, I was that exact MySpace Mm-mm. kink where I was like, <laughs> I saw I was that like a tum- and was like, this is stupid. And then I moved. Yeah, on. no, I I was a Tumblr soft grunge girl. So like, I fucking that's like my my anthem is Salad Fingers. Yeah, that no, that's and Old much. Greg. Both of those are yeah, like my 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 porn anthem. Um, so yeah, so that would happen to her. She gets suffocated by a poltergeist using a cup. I don't know why. I guess it's a lot more like respectful than just strangling the fuck out of her. So there we go. What type of cup? Did they specify? Like a, like a, like a, like a beer cup? I don't know. A wine, a mason jar? Yeah. Like, Hmm. is it just a shot glass? Like, (laughs) cause she's an 11 year old girl. (laughs) Oh no. Hmm. Hmm. Is it a cup, like a fucking, like, codpiece cup? You know, who knows? Yeah. What, yeah. what does the cup look like? Yeah. <laughs> also, like, I just picture, like, guys. the Babadook, like, with a mug <laughs> and shoving it over her mouth and just, like, laughing. <laughs> yes. Lol. I mean, no. This is a sad story. So, there is also one specific report of Maria having over 50 needles oh, removed Lord. from her ankle. Like, Ew, I don't know why, like literally there's just, like every, just every article that I read said that there were 50 needles that they like surgically removed from her ankle. Like, surgically? I don't even, like, I don't even Jesus. get like, yeah, I don't even, I don't even know what that means. Um, I don't want to know what that means. Right. Uh, but still things got worse. Did I say worse? Well, wait, worse? there's more. <laughs> wait. Um, one day while at school in the middle of class maria's clothes burst into flames this (laughs) this reportedly happened multiple times and in the next few weeks many people in the city witnessed this happen just maria just like chilling like at the bus stop like at school like in the fucking kmart just like doing her thing and all of a sudden her clothes just (laughs) busted I haven't thought of Kmart in like 10 to 15 years. <laughs> it's Brazil <laughs> in 1965. <laughs> I don't even think that happened. It, is Kmart ha- was did Kmart exist in the 60s? I don't even think <sighs> so. Probably not. So she's just at you like the what? local grocery store 
and shit like that happened. So just like terror, this town would be like, what the fuck's going on with Maria? Like y'all need to get your shit together. Um, so yeah, that continued for like weeks until the Jesus. family now fearing for the life of Maria at the, at the, you know, reaction to her bursting into flames every once in a while, uh, hired a psychic to come to their home and figure out what was wanting to kill her daughter. Once there, the medium re- uh, realized that she, uh, what he was dealing with, which is very in- interesting because it's usually like referred to as a, a female, like they usually use she and stuff like that. Um, so the hauntings, uh, this dude figures out, this medium dude figured out the hauntings were being done by a group of very powerful poltergeists who were extremely angry. So a group of spirits, of poltergeists. He thought it was too powerful, powerful for him to deal with alone so he asked if he could send maria to an even greater medium by the name of chico xavier um so maria and the parents went to xavier's home who began a ritual to contact the spirits haunting maria oh god right like this is crazy um when in his trance he started asking the spirits why they were being violent towards maria who was just an 11 year old girl the spirits replied that they had held a grudge against Maria because in her previous life, <gasps> she was, in fact, an evil witch. Oh, yes. Damn. Yes. And an evil goals, witch that goals, had goals. murdered them, making them spirits. Maybe not goals, but kind of goals. Yeah, goals. Still. Yeah. But it murdered them by performing black magic on them years ago. The medium asked the spirits to leave poor Maria alone as she was just a young girl and not the evil witch anymore. So it was unfair and unjust to punish an innocent child. The spirits did not answer and seemed to have departed, leaving the room quiet and the family and Maria untouched the whole way, the whole way that they like the whole way home. Sorry. So that really surely. Um, So sadly days after the haunting, after things seemed to be gone and everything seemed to be quiet and like have been resolved, things started up again and Maria was found dead uh. one morning in her <gasps> bed. Yeah. Sorry. Oh this one ends a little sad. Like I actually give you all the sad little shit. Well, that's um, great that I'm only going to get sadder from here. So <laughs> sorry everybody, but I hope you enjoy those happy moments. Yeah. <laughs> so in desperation go. for the attacks to stop, um, Maria took her own life by poisoning herself with <gasps> pesticides. Oh my God. Oh. However, once she was dead, the hauntings instantly stopped, leaving the family alone with their grief. Oh my God. Yeah. So that is the haunting of Maria Jose Ferria. <sighs> yeah. Thanks, Corey, for You're bringing welcome. the mood down. You're welcome. Now I will bring the mood only. M- more down downer baby go right. down 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 so down, oh my god is it the stars the sky is yeah falling down is that like jason derulo like yeah, who sings that like shit that. yeah i've <laughs> like know, i've like grinded is... with a girl like when i was 14 to that song me yeah. too Corey, with the girl when i was th- 14. at least you liked Same it shit. god damn it i i did i enjoyed it i was like yeah bitch <laughs> i was the bitch though grinding on the girl and she was like we're such good friends and i was like we're like yeah friends friends <laughs> I was like, yeah, I don't sexually like you at all. I was like, I was like, I'm super straight. 
You're like, yeah, what are, les- what are lesbians or bisexuals? Yeah. I was fuck like, that. yeah, fuck, fuck. Yeah. Well, back then when we were middle, when we were like uh, middle schoolers, bisexuality definitely did not exist. Oh, like shit, lesbian yeah. and like gay is not exist, but bisexuality was like whole. Well, yeah. Too, too dynamic of a concept. <sighs> well, let's let's bring the mood back down to are you ready? Yes. The murders at cabin number 28, a.k.a. the Ketty murders. Yes. I'm going to do a podcast voice. I'm just kidding. I'm not. So in 1980, the Sharp family, which consisted of 36 year old Glenna. She went by Sue. Her 15 year old son, John. 14-year-old daughter, Sheila, 12-year-old daughter, Tina, and 10-year-old um, son, Rick, and 5-year-old son, Greg, moved from Connecticut to cabin number 28, the Ketty Resort in Ketty, California, after Sue separated from her husband. Now, Ketty, California, it's, um, it's really important for you to understand this. This is a nugget town, a spooky McNugget town in yes. Northern California, only 66 people resided in this small town. 66. That's not Y'all fault. know 66 people. Pick 66 people and that's your whole town. Fuck that. Obviously, when it's such a small town, things get weird because, you know, that's how it goes. But every single person knew each other and every single person was close. And there was obviously a lot of small town secrets. There's only 66 people. It's not that hard. Now, when anyone enters the town... People notice. But when a family of six moves in, such as the Sharps, everyone notices. That's a big deal. Because suddenly, like 10% of your population (laughs) just moved in. Holy shit. Yeah. Now, it was a tough time for the Sharp family. Sue, she supported everybody on about $250 uh, a month from the Navy and food stamps. Still, though, she did everything she could for her kids she loved them like she was the type of person that would go hungry before letting her kids go hungry this actually reminds me of the conjuring too when one of the kids really wants um biscuits and the mom gives them biscuits like it's like that level of like badass amazing momness um her kids they had just an amazing life like they just loved their mom they loved their siblings like as poor as they were and as all the crazy shit they've been through already up to this point the mom, Sue, did everything she could to make the kids feel normal and make the kids feel like they had a great life. Um, and they really enjoyed living in Ketty. Like, they had woods to explore. They had lakes and ponds to swim in. They had really interesting small-town folks to get to know. Like, it was it was supposed to be a new change, a whole new rest of their life. Sheila, one of the daughters, uh, she was the older of the daughters. She became friends with a kid in cabin 20, number 27, Rick and Greg became good friends with Justin with Justin um, Smart, who lived in Cabin 26. Um, John had a really good friend. His name was Dana, and they constantly hung out, and they went to parties in other cities and towns, etc. Like, overall, they had a really quiet and normal life until April 21st, 1981. Uh-oh. Are you ready? Now is a perfect pee break opportunity. Do you have to pee or anything? No, I'm you? good. All right. April 21st, 1981, was a typical Tuesday. Tina and Sheila went over to their friend's house at Cabin 27 to watch some TV. Sheila ended up staying over to sleep over that night, and Tina went home around 10 p.m. John and his friend Dana, they went to a party. 
they, you know, they, I think they like hitchhiked to a party, partied hard. They got back home and they ended up just chilling in um, John's bedroom, which is in the basement. And then Rick and Greg, they had their friend Justin Smart over for a sleepover. And Sue, she was just chilling in the living room, just enjoying this peaceful life. She left her husband. She's starting over. Everything was okay. She was sitting there just chilling. Now, between midnight and early morning, everything changed for the Sharps. Because at 7, 7.45 in the morning, Sheila returned from her sleepover. She, uh, she put her key in the lock, twisted the lock, and walked in. And inside cabin 28 were the bodies of her mother, Sue Sharp, her teenage brother, John, his friend, Dana. And the three had been bound by medical and electrical tape and had either been viciously stabbed, strangled, or bludgeoned. But Sheila's sister, Tina, was nowhere to be found. Horrified at the macabre scene in front of her, she sprinted back to her neighbor's house in tears, screaming for help. Her friend's dad ran to her, and she told him what she saw, just absolutely hysterical. He sprinted to cabin 28. He realized... Rick, Greg, and Justin were still asleep in the bedroom, so he walked over to the side of the house. What, downstairs in the basement? feet away from this murder because this happened in the living room. He climbed into the bedroom window, and he carried each boy out of the bedroom so they would not see the murder scene, trying to prevent them from this inevitable trauma they're going to have to go through. Police were called and arrived a little past 8 o'clock that morning. Deputy Hank Clement was the first to arrive on the scene. He reported blood everywhere on the walls, the doors, the windows, the ceilings, the furniture, the bottom of their shoes, Sue's bare feet, the beddings and be- the bedding, like sheets and blankets and bedrooms, the kitchen, like the baseboards, the AC unit, the stairs, the railing on the outside of the stairs, doorknobs, like you kind of name it where there, where there could have been blood and there was blood everywhere he also noticed that there was blood on the door handle inside of the room where the young boy slept making police either assume that the killers went inside the room noticed the three boys sleeping and decided to spare them or the three boys opened the door touched a body and went back inside and closed the door that's why the blood would be in the inside now 15 that's creepy this whole thing's fucked up 15-year-old John, he was closest to the front door, face up, his hands blood-covered and just bound with medical tape, and his throat was slit. A cheap steak knife was found to the left of his body, and the attack had been so brutal that this that this knife was bent at a 25-degree angle because it was so vicious. Police also discovered a butcher knife and a, handle, and a hammer on a small wooden table near the entry to the kitchen. Now, John's BFF, Dana, was on the floor beside him on his stomach. His ankles were tied with an electrical wire, which was connected to the wire used to to bind John. Um, And Dana's head was bashed into the blunt. What the fuck was that? That sounded like some motobones. It was s'mores. I just don't know what she did. S'mores, you okay? She has big, okay, she has big scare tail. Give me one second. Oh, no. Jordan, you okay? Cool, so I'm going to die probably tonight from, like, the demon of lewdness because we've been making fun of him too much. Fun. (sighs) 
S'mores is now hiding. She has scare tail somewhere, so that's where I'm at. Aww. Anyways, um, Dana was bashed, like his head was bashed in with a blunt object, and he lay partially on a sofa pillow. He was strangled. Um, adjacent to Dana was Sue. Um, she was found on her right side. She was covered with a blanket and a sheet that revealed, um, that later was revealed as Tina's bed sheets and blankets. Um, she was naked from the waist down, tightly gagged with a bandana and her own underwear securely with medical tape. She had injuries consistent with a struggle and an imprint of a butt, a uh, imprint on her butt of an 880 pellet gun. Whoa. Um, like her son, her throat had been cut and she was stabbed, but she also had a knife sticking out of her chest because the attack was so brutal. All three victims suffered blunt force trauma by hammers um, or ham like one hammer or multiple hammers, and they sustained multiple stab wounds in both mother and son. Their throats were slit. Now, there was no sign of robbery, and it immediately became obvious that someone had, co- that someone had entered Cabin 28 intending to murder someone. It was a targeted crime. Do one you that know- was deeply you know- emotional oh, and personal, passionate. It was a crime of passion, 100%. Oh, do you know how close, like, the next town was? The next town um, was, like, I don't know, like, mileage how close it was, but it was within probably a couple miles. The oh, next okay. cabin heard what happened. They heard the screams. Holy I'll get through fuck. that in a second. Now, there are no signs of force entry, um, which suggested that the victims knew their killers. They just willingly let them in. An unidentified fingerprint was found on a handrail on the stairs leading to the cabin's back door, and the cabin's telephone was left off the hook. So when the killers entered, they removed the phone off of the, like, home base. Um, And then the lights were off and the drapes were closed. Police did speculate from the very beginning that they were at least two culprits based off of the crime scene. They knew this was not a single murderer they knew that there must have at least been two people that was committing this crime, this murder. Police collected evidence, but because this was the 80s, this and this was a small fucking town. I mean, 66 people, y'all, teeny, teeny, tiny. Yeah, these teeny. police did not really. These police did not really know what they were doing. This was also pre DNA, so anything they were really even collecting wasn't necessarily good evidence in terms of what we would collect today. And, and anything they did collect was not stored properly. So any DNA that we would have had from the 80s, we would not really have now. Just, like, based off of the time period that was that it was in. And I mentioned this, I think, last episode or two episodes ago. I talked about how so many of my true crime cases just goes... It just always leads back to the time period where if this happened today, it would be solved. And that's what's so frustrating about so, so many of these yeah. cases. It's just, like, the technology... And the lack of knowledge in the police force, like, just led to these killers walking free. Anyways, while the police were inside the cabin, the daughter, Sheila, who, like, discovered the bodies, um, was talking to an investigator outside. And she was begging them to look for her sister, Tina, for, she, for hours, hours and hours and hours. She was begging, saying, my sister, Tina's not there. I saw the bodies. She's gone. Like, she's gone. She's gone. And for whatever reason, police didn't believe her. It took them over six hours to believe her and actually start looking for Tina. Six hours. 
Damn. Now, the first 48 hours of a missing person's case is the most crucial because you're able to find, like, the most evidence and at least piece together what happened uh, in the first 48 hours. But they missed six plus of those hours just because they weren't listening to Sheila. They were just no. focusing on the crime scene, not realizing that there was an abducted girl. Where if they focused their ener- all of their energy on Tina, maybe they would have found her. And pro- they probably would have. There's only 66 people in the town. Like, they probably would have found her. It wouldn't be that hard over the six hours to go look for her. But they didn't. Now, because Tina was believed to have been abduct- abducted from the crime scene, her disappearance was initially investigated by the FBI, so they were brought in. But in later 1981, the FBI decided to back off of the search because they decided that the Department of Justice or the DOJ was doing an adequate job and they made, in quotes, the FBI's presence unnecessary. So the okay. FBI like, bowed out. Bye. Sorry, were you trying to pause me for something? No, I said, okay. I thought I saw your hand up, so I thought you were trying uh. to pause. Okay. With no clear motive as to who would brutally massacre the family or why, the police turned to the only witnesses they had, the three sleepy boys. So even though a couple in in cabin 29, right next to cabin 28, heard hysterical blood-curdling screams at 1.30 o'clock in the morning. (laughs) You and I are in that cabin and we're like... (laughs) I'm like... Um, we're like monkey puppet looking at each other meme yeah yeah and you know what i would fucking tell those cops i would run out there so fast because i'm like that's so like my true crime in me where i'd be like oh let's go solve a murder but i'd also be so scared it's not 3 a.m so i would probably do it oh my god now these three poor little sleepy boys between five and you know 10 years old they allegedly slept through the whole entire vicious attack However, it's more likely that the three were awake and they saw it, but they blocked and repressed the, these yeah. memories because of the trauma. And that's what, like, the majority of psychological psycholog- psychologists agree on is, like, there's no way these boys slept through it. They're just repressing and blocking because and, that is a normal response to that that severity of trauma. When now, you're, every when single you're little boy, like that, yeah. Yeah, and every single boy was interviewed several times, but the only one to kind of remember something was Justin and Justin smart was not one of like he was not a son of the family he was just a friend sleeping over his family lived in cabin 26 like a couple cabins down now in one interview Justin described having a dream in which he was on a boat and he saw John and Dana fighting with a man with a long back black hair and a mustache and glasses and his hair and he was carrying a hammer and the man first threw John overboard, followed by throwing Dana overboard. He then saw something covered in a sheet. So poor little Justin walked over and he picked up the sheet and he saw Sue lying there, just asleep. But with an object, it kind of looked like a knife sticking out of her chest. Damn. He tried saving Sue and he was giving her water and like shaking her to wake up, but she wasn't responding. Now, if you remember with what I just said, John died first and then Dana... And then uh, Sue ha- was lying there with a sheet covering her with a knife sticking out of her chest. So clearly this dream is really like him having this memory of witnessing yeah. his murder or witnessing the after effects. And then during a polygraph test, Justin stated that, th- that he thought he actually witnessed the murders. He said that he was woken up by noise. He got up, looked through the door, 
he looked into the living room. He saw Sue lying on the sofa with two men standing in the middle of the room. And he saw that Justin, sorry, and then Justin saw um, that the, the men were wearing black and dark glasses, that the one guy had long brown hair, one was wearing army boots, etc. Um, and then he saw John and Dana come up from John's basement bedroom and they started yelling at the men, which led to like this huge fight. And then Dana started running out of the house. He saw the fight was getting uh, lethal. And he was struck from behind with a hammer like over and over and over again. Damn. And during all this, poor little Tina woke up hearing all of this like noise and all of this commotion. She walked out of her bedroom holding her baby blanket and her doll. And she said, what's going on? And this man with black hair sliced down the middle of her chest with a pocket knife. Jesus. And then grabbed her by the arms and threw out the back door. So based on Justin's descriptions of these men, composite sketches of the two unknown men were produced by forensic artist um, Harlem Embry. And in press releases accompanying the sketches, the suspects were described as anywhere in the late 20s or 30s. One of them stood between 5'11 and 6'2", and the other one was between 5'6 and 5'10". Um, both were wearing gold-framed glasses. Now, over the course of multiple weeks, poor little Justin um, Smart he was consistently having either dreams or memories of the murder because either way you look at it, like this kid was really traumatized because he obviously witnessed it and whether viewing the murder in a dreamlike state or viewing the murder in a memory state helped him cope with it. But he was able to help investigators kind of piece together the order of the events and of um, generally what these guys looked like. This poor, like, and this kid's like less than ten years old, y'all. I think he was like ten or eleven. Damn. Like, I, like, just think of what you were doing when you were ten, and like this kid witnessed this. Anyways, almost immediately, two suspects were identified in the case. There was Martin Smart. He went by Marty. He was the stepfather of Justin Smart, who I've been talking about. And they lived a few cabins down in cabin 26. And the second suspect was a man named John um, Bobaday. He went by Bo. Um, both men had criminal histories, sketchy as fuck. Bo was involved in, like, the mafia in Chicago. He actually went to prison for a while for robbing a bank. And Marty was just a piece of shit, abusive, and violent husband who was also involved in drug deals. So, like, super quality guys. Yay. Marty and, Mo and <laughs> Bo guys. met a few weeks before the murders. And Bo actually ended up moving in and staying at the Smart's house about 10 days before the murders took place. So, as I said, Marty, super piece of shit, abusive monster. Um, Sue ended up becoming really good friends with, with Marty's wife. Her name was Marilyn. And once Sue started hearing about all the marital abuse, um, she encouraged Marilyn to leave Marty. Now, when Marty found out that that Sue was trying to convince Marilyn to leave, he became enraged and quotes, he went ballistic. Um, he ended up like marching over to Sue's cabin, pulling her out of the house and having a screaming match with her. Um, it was so intense that every single neighbor went like went outside of their cabin to go watch. Like it would be totally <laughs> me and Corey, like peeking through our windows. Like, like What's going shit. On? And this only happened a few weeks before the murder. And so this could be a potential motive for the murder because Sue was getting involved with a highly abusive situation and Marty wasn't going to let her because he was a piece of shit abuser. Now, just like so many killers that I've talked about throughout the past like year, year and a half, 
Marty was being overly involved with the investigation, you know, telling the, the cops a lot of, like, ideas he had, a lot of, like, you know, little tidbits of info here and there, even to the point where he said that he was missing a hammer from the house. And as we know, a hammer was used as a weapon to bludgeon the three victims. So the police were like, this is a little sketch. Let's call on Marty to see, like, where he was the night of the murder. They called him in. They strapped him to a polygraph test, which, you know, has undeniably been like reputed because yeah. polygraphs tests are dumb but anyways this is the 80s so you know everything apparently yeah, they was, still was had, fine like, back then to them. Yeah. so they strapped him up to polygraph they're like yo marty like tell us where you were the night of april 21st so he was like okay like marilyn and i decided to go to this bar it's his bar that he was a chef at because he gets discounts and shit so like why wouldn't he be there and at the bar marty got really unhappy with the music he ended up screaming at the manager and like he and Marilyn stormed off a few hours later he decided he wasn't done yet and he took Bo they dressed up in like suits and ties and went back to the bar to like mess with people I don't know like it was just weird why he went back to the bar straight straight bullshit um, <laughs> but it's just like this this weird alibi he created to not pin him at the crime scene but then, like, he ended up going home that night and, like, went to sleep. And, like, he was there during the time these, like, brutal murders happened. But they let him take a polygraph test, like I said. He passed. So they're like, okay, you're good. They let him go. After they let him go, they called in Marilyn. She immediately just started telling them how Marty was, like, a piece of shit monster. She even told them that she um, separated from him the, the one day after the murders took place. Um, she called Marty short-tempered, violent, abusive. Um, and then she even went on to say that she noticed that he was burning something in the fireplace the day what after the, the murders. What the fuck? So even though that there definitely was enough evidence, not to necessarily pinpoint him, but at least to point him as a, sus- as a suspect, the investigation stopped right there. <laughs> On the three-year anniversary of the Sharp murders, a man was walking, just hiking, walking his dogs. You know, that's how it usually goes. And he discovered a human skull in the adjoining Butte County, which is about 30 miles from Ketty. And and Ketty is located in Plumas County. Now, near the remains, detectives also found a child's blanket, a blue nylon jacket, a pair of jeans with a missing back pocket, and and an empty surgical tape dispenser and if you remember the three victims were bound with medical tape so the butte county sheriff's apartment they were perplexed because no one was missing in their tiny ass district didn't know what was going on and on that same exact day they got a phone call anonymous phone call and the person said i was wondering if they thought of the murder up in ken up in kendy up in plumas county a couple years ago wasn't there a 12-year-old girl that was never found? And then what hung the up. fuck? And Butte County called up Plumas County people, the people of Ketty, and they're like, hey, three years ago, was there a 12-year-old girl that was never found? And they're like, yeah, Tina Sharp. They're like, okay, I think we might have just found her skull. And they ran her skull and all these bone fragments that were found around her. And it was confirmed to be Tina Sharp. Jesus. Now, this call was recorded, and it was sent to Kitty po- Police, but the envelope remained sealed, and the audio was never listened to. What? It gets worse. Marilyn, at one point, turned in a letter that was written by Marty, and the conclusion of the letter said, in quotes, 
I've paid the price for your love. And now that I bought it with four people's lives, you'll tell me we're through? Great. What else do you want? And she turned in that letter the second she got it. And that letter was considered forged. And they never even bothered to look at that. What the fuck? In fact, dozens, dozens of pieces of evidence and multiple witnesses slash people of interest were never, ever even remotely interviewed or looked at. Why? Could it be... A cover-up? What the fuck? So remember, this is a close-knit town. 66 people, teeny tiny. Like, you can look at all 66 people in, like, a living room. Like, it's fucking small. Yeah. People people knew what happened. There were people out there that knew. There had to be. But no one was saying shit. And and like, the thought of a cover-up was not out of line. Especially when you realize... That Marty was best friends with Sheriff Doug Thomas. Oh, my God. Doug, he was the sheriff at the time of the murder. He was close to Marty and close to Marilyn. Close enough that they went to him for marriage counseling. Now, Sheriff Doug, whatever the fuck his last name is, he was not a counselor or therapist. He's just a sheriff. And yet Marty and Marilyn went to him for therapy, which is really odd. What's even weirder is Marilyn denied that meeting ever took place, yet Doug proved it. However, Doug went on to say that he was not friends with them, that they just wanted to go to him because the town was so small they didn't really have anywhere else to go. Now, some people say that like Marilyn denying that the meeting ever took place is proof that she was part of this whole conspiracy, this whole part, this whole cover-up. But personally, I believe that if she was involved with any cover-up, it was to save her or her son's life. Because Marty was extremely abusive, and if he was capable of murdering four people, like, why would yeah, he not threaten hurt, his yeah. wife's life? So I'm sure, like, she said that meeting never happened just to cover this up even further. Now, supposedly, after being interviewed by the police in the polygraph test that I mentioned before, Marty w- even went to temporarily live with Sheriff Doug. And Doug and him had this whole heart-to-heart, and Doug told him, I need you to leave town. You have to get out of here. And so Marty ended up going to Reno. Jesus. And a few months right after that, just three months after this took place, Doug resigned as sheriff. And oh, my God. And ended up joining a Department of Justice. Such and a after that, the case went cold, and it was closed. Now, over the next 30 years, Marty and Bo both died. Cabin, eight was, cabin 28 was demolished. And any evidence collected improperly was ruined. After Marty died in the year 2000, his therapist ended up going to police and he said, Marty confessed to the murders and he had all of these detailed logs of what Marty said. But did did the police reopen the case? No, they didn't. Sheila, the daughter who, you know, discovered the bodies, fought every single day for the police to reopen the case and find the killers. There's so much evidence pointing to Marty. Even if Marty wasn't the killer, there was enough evidence to point to the fact that he fucking knew what was going on. And they at least need to reopen the case. And it took 32 years. But finally, two people listened. Sheriff Greg Hagwood, who was 16 at the time of the murders and who personally knew the Sharps. Wow. And Special Investigator Mike Gamberg, they reopened the case with the help of Sheila. And they began to re-examine the evidence that was still okay. And to their 
Surprise is like an understatement, more like shock and disgust. Dozens of pieces of evidence were never looked at, including the letter, the audio, and the interview, and the therapist. Well, yeah, like they just knew it. Yeah, so they just ignored it. it. Damn. It just, you know, it shocked them that the police had so much evidence piled against Marty. They could pin a motive, they could place him at the scene of the crime, they could do everything. Like it was so obviously him, and still somehow, not only was this information ignored, but he lived with the sheriff. The sheriff told him to leave. He escaped town. Like they like were helping him get away yeah. with it. So it's like it's worse than a cover up. It's like, yeah, they were protecting him, but not only that, they were helping him. <sighs> it was obvious that, you know, Marty was either the killer or knew more information. But unfortunately for them, he was dead by the time they reopened it. So was Bo. So they only had the evidence any evidence that was even left in the crime scene that was still okay enough to use and they only had living witnesses left to interview and look at now in 2016 a couple years ago a a pond dried up and the second hammer was discovered proving the point that there were two killers involved now this location of the hammer was a very specific and weird location like there's no possible way a hammer could have ended up there unless someone deliberately put it there and it was the same type of hammer that was used in the Sharp case. So they were like, holy shit, this is the second hammer that we've always wondered about. And also, if you remember, Marty said his hammer went missing. This is the hammer. So they tested it for DNA. And at this time, Hagwood and Gamberg were interviewing six potential witnesses and or suspects. And the DNA on that hammer matched one of theirs, one of the living suspects or witnesses. Now, they currently believe that more than two people were involved whether it was the murders it was probably just Bo and Mur- Bo and Marty at the murders but more people were, were involved at hiding evidence covering it up and abducting Tina there had to be it couldn't have just been those two they knew this was like a communal effort to cover up these murders and to this day to this day June 19th 2020 with the help of Sheila Sharp Sheriff Greg Hadwood and Special Investigator Mike Gambert are still looking through evidence to bring justice to this family and finally provide some closure. Hardwood said in in an interview, There is not an expiration date in homicides, and to the extent that we have surviving siblings and family members, it is our fundamental obligation to them to understand who did this and why. And when asked how close they were to solving the case, he said, I don't know. But I do know that we are closer than we've ever been before. And they're still hunting for them to this day. And I am confident that they will be able to find the killers and bring justice and peace to this family. And that is the story of Murder 28. Or Murder Cabin Number 28. Now, this story has, like, uh, influenced horror movies. Uh, Most famously, it's influenced The Strangers, uh, even though the director and writers have denied that this has been an influence on it. Um, if you look at, like, cases, it's, there's, like, a lot of parallels that you could link to um, Cabin, the murder of Cabin number 28. Um, there was also, like, a actual movie that was called Cabin number 28, and I saw the trailer, and it was, like, one of the worst horror movie trailers <laughs> I've ever seen in my entire life. And like the, the top comment... level shit. <laughs> and the top comment was sa- said, this movie is the worst shite I've ever seen in my life. I made it 30 minutes, and I said, fuck this. <laughs> and I, there was like 50 plus likes. Oh my it was God. so good. 
But this, yeah, this this murder is like one everyone's worst nightmare. You're just chilling with your with your family, and then like you invite someone in who you know, and they murder you like this. And it's not just like they killed you. This is such a an intense crime of passion. Yeah, like they brutalize these people. But that is the murder of cabin number twenty eight. So Corey, oh, how was your sex life? Sex life is good. Had a good weekend. Um. I went for those, I don't know if I like said it, I think I alluded to it a little bit, but I went to LA this past weekend. Yeah, bitch. And uh, celebrated uh, Carl's birthday. Um, we had like Happy a birthday, fun- Carl. Happy birthday, Carl. We had a fun uh, birthday party, like pool party joint with uh, one of his uh, best friend's uh, boyfriend. He also had a birthday that weekend, or it was technically on Monday. Um, and so we just had a double birthday and then on Saturday and like pool party and stuff that was super fun and FaceTime Chana. <laughs> yes, that's, that's true. It was super fun. That's all we can say. <laughs> it was the greatest FaceTime of my life. <laughs> um, and then, and then on Sunday we did the, um, uh, like pride black lives matter parade, but it, it wasn't officially pride anymore in LA because they had like, uh, uh, like problems with uh, corporations that had to back up pride if it involved pride that couldn't be affiliated with black lives matter just because like black lives matter didn't want corporate sponsorship, which I totally agree with. Um, so it's just like the one, it was more just like um, trans focused and like queer black lives and stuff like, like focus stuff and signs and stuff like that. It was really cool. It was just like, I don't know. We, we stood like, um what at sunset boulevard watching the parade of people pass for like 45 minutes and we only got like i don't know halfway through people i don't know i don't know we like stood there for 45 minutes and get through the end of of people that's so cool and they that's had already amazing. been passing for like 30 minutes like it was thousands of people ten, like maybe a, a few ten thousands of people like who knows wow that's yeah. amazing it was cool to like watch them pass and stuff and yeah just like a great a great weekend yeah. Yes. That's what happened. Well, I also went to a Pride March. I went to the one in Salt Lake City. Hey, everybody. Um, it was super, it was really uh, inspiring. Very cool to be part of something like that. Lots of people, not nearly as much as the LA Pride March, but still a lot of people. Like, uh, I was pretty surprised at uh, the, yeah. like, there was a couple thousand people that was there. So that was really cool for me to see, like, our community come together like that. So that was pretty empowering. Um, yeah, it was, it was a really good weekend. I'm totally convinced I got coronavirus from it, but whatever, I'm fine. <laughs> and then just been working, you know, doing as I do, working, making those dollar bills, y'all, yep. trying to like function as an adult. But yeah, I have a vet appointment with Simone tomorrow. That won't oh, be Simone. fun. I'll let y'all know how that goes. It's going to be great. But it, yeah, it's been a pretty good week. It's just been a, a lot of getting woke getting shooketh at what i'm oh definitely yeah reading uh white fragility stuff like that yeah so it's it's been a it's been a a very interesting week for sure so i guess our question for you guys is anyways how's your sex life bye guys (laughs) bye